This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast, a podcast from the Back Tees. I'm Jerry Luke. And with me, as always, is my compatriot north of the border in America's hat and headquarters for From the Back Tees, the founder, Zach Pence. Zach, how are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I am all right. Don't nobody worry about me, because 54 down and 162 more to go on the latest uh, job uh, that uh, a lot of the caddies seem to know about that I was that we're on. Um, to catch you folks up... Uh, I am a, I'm a golf caddy at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort in uh, Oregon, Bandon, Oregon, United States of America, and <clears throat> I was handed my first 54-hole assignment that begun today, and it, uh, it was going to be, it was 18 yesterday, late round, and then 54 today, 36 tomorrow, 36 tomorrow, 54 on Friday, and uh, yesterday when I was chatting my golfer up, luckily it's only one bag, I got a cop out, it's only a one bag job, um, he, uh, I, I asked the golfer, I'm like, so why the 54, 36, 36 seems like an odd amount? And he said, oh, no, we're doing 54 every day. It's just the pro shop and the computer would not allow us to technically book it. But, and this is public knowledge, everybody, if you play golf, rounds of golf at Band Dunes, your first round, you have to pay full price. Your second round is half off. Your third round, if you choose to play it, is free. So they're not about to make a tee time. And we just have to suffer. And like I said, I'd be totally proud at how tired I am at my accomplishment, but it's like I've never ran a marathon in my life before, but I'm about to run four in a row, so why am I going to brag about the one? Yes, yeah, so it's this one guy playing three rounds? Evidently, these cats, it's him and a couple other fellas. Um, they're from the West Coast of America. Uh, my guy's a bankruptcy attorney. <clears throat> nice enough fella. Uh, we chat about, yeah, it's a pretty dark industry, so I like, I actually, I like, I hate to say it because I have a lot of negative opinions on some of those jobs or whatever, but it's like guys who work for big banks, fiscal guys, stuff like that. I actually really enjoy caddying for them because I know the nuances of their business a bit to the point where it's just like I can chat with them about their job so they don't sound like like uh, what, he, what DiCaprio said or whatever in Wolf of Wall Street or uh, what, um, no, what was it, uh, Gosling said in The Big Short where he's just like, uh, it sounds boring, right? That's why you pay somebody else to do it. That's what we all do. And you don't talk to us. It's just like, oh, no, no. I, I like talking to those guys. You're the guy who talks to them. Well, I like pretending that I'm their fan <laughs> just because who doesn't like having Merrill Lynch friends? I mean. <laughs> That's true. But uh, but anyways, uh, needless to say, these guys, um, I guess they've been doing this for about 10 to 15 years. And uh, they were, not, I wouldn't say belligerent, but there was a lot. Well, yeah, no, definitely, definitely belligerent. There was a lot of alcohol intaking, and um, yeah, it was just, uh, it's gonna be, a, gonna be a fun, uh, fun week. That's why we're doing this in haste right now. It's a Tuesday. Is today Tuesday? Wednesday for me. We've hit twelve thirteen. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're working in different days. What a world. I put, put in a fourteen-hour day, folks, and I wanted to record a podcast for us because. This was really probably the best time I could do it. And That's the not grind. That I had to do something pre-US Open, but I mean, <clears throat> it'd behoove us not to, so. That's the hustle you got to put into it. Well, fair enough. Uh, anything fun or exciting happen to you this week, Zach, or anything in, like, golf news you want to talk about, or the Irishman running away with the Open there? Yeah, the uh, he crushed it. I thought he was going to break 60, too. He went... What did he go, bogey, and then he eagles to give himself a chance again, and then bogey the last? You know how there's other shows or podcasts or groups out there that joke about, like, the, the, the oh, they get, we, they get, we gave them the podcast bump or whatever, and my joke early on this year was everybody I pick doesn't seem to come to fruition unless I hitch my star, my wagon onto a Matt Kuchar star at the last second every time, but it's funny. There's three guys going into the, the tied for the league going into the final round. I got all my nuts on Matt Kuchar here, and then we got Tucker, you know, uh, giving me the whole uh, Webb Simpson treatment with his son, and uh, and we were sticking to our guns, and we ignore Rory, and wh- whereas, like, all the Twitter polls I saw, he was, like, everyone saying, like, out of these three, who's going to win the tournament? Everyone said Rory. I ignored it, like somebody who didn't believe a cop could stop you. I was just like, no, and just drove straight by, and... I mean, I don't, I don't even know how Roy, I'm a, I'm a Kucher or Simpson finished, honestly. 
I had not looked at their final rounds just because once I saw Rory flatten them, I just stopped. I was like, I'm done. I, I'm not looking. Yeah, no one had a chance. He just ran away with it. Well, chance or no chance, I mean, some people still shot over par. Some people still shot under par. Some people shot neither, and they shot even. All I'm saying is our staff had like two-thirds of the horses going into the final round who were tied for the lead. And things got so paltry, we didn't even check to see how those horses finished in the race. We just, like, ripped up our stubs like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's why we, we're keeping up with the, we can't pick anything right. Well, I mean, that's that's why I'm getting off the wall and, like, starting to make some of the picks like I picked for, um, what was it, the, uh, for, like, the U.S. Open and such. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Rory, who was the best Canadian in the field? Hadwin. Who, who finished it was Hadwin, and what was his final score? I think he finished at minus 12. Okay. And he needed a T3 to qualify for the Open, and he missed by, like, two places. No kidding. That's yeah. great. That's really good. So, sorry, I'm just writing down some extra notes here about our U.S. Open talk coming up, but, um... Uh, gosh, I mean, Rory at 22 under, second place was 15 under, but, I mean, I... This is how I looked at it, folks. I'm sorry. I'm a number cruncher. So when I, I, my eyes scroll to the right side on the PGA Tour mobile app, and I just look at, like, total score and who had, like, the best and worst rounds, honestly. That's all I really use that app for is who went low that day and who blew up that day. And then and what's the final score overall? Then I'll look at the names, honestly. I just, I, I like look at the numbers going like, oh, my God, somebody shot even par and everyone else shot 65. Who was that idiot? And, oh, God, DJ, what happened? I mean... Yeah, DJ, DJ sort of got into it. I think he might have had a top 15 finish after starting off with like a 74 in round one. DJ is this close to going into the doghouse where I have Louis Oosthuizen permanently leashed up. Oosthuizen. After... Sorry, yeah, Oosthuizen, whatever. That guy, ever since he destroyed everyone at St. Andrews years ago, and he has that perfect swing that we all love that, that is flawless and it's good and he's got a great demeanor and he's just... Charles Howell the third takes a lot, makes a lot of cuts. This guy takes like third or fourth in every freaking major. You can't put money on Louie anymore. DJ is fast wading into those waters of that harbor. Taking in that he's guy. not going to win a major. No, no, I mean, not. I'm not saying that. I'm. Or that he loses you money. We're we're living. Yes, yes. Yes. Now we hit it. We're, we're living in a day and age, though. Honestly, where Jim Furyk only has one major championship. We. That, that is a fact for a guy who has worked hard and played a ton of great golf and, oh, by the way, is still doing it. I mean, Jim Fury can't hit it out of his shadow. And I'm not I'm not besmirching professional tour players. Believe me, those guys work harder than anyone else, and they are the best at their craft. They are athletes and artistes at what they do. But that being said, Jim Furyk can't carry the ball over 250, I've been told. And this was, like, old news to me. I mean, that's just... Sorry, I got insider dirt. That's why that's why Zach liked me at first. That's all. <laughs> exactly. So I guess starting with the US Open though, I have one comment. I don't know what's your whole perspective on Brooks Kepka. Do you like him? Hate him? Neutral to him? I would definitely have to say, um, <clears throat> I'm not gonna be one of those guys who says I like the band before they got popular. Um, I've always been kind of a Kepka follower for several years, probably hearkening back to I moved back to San Diego in 2014, so the first Farmers I started going to on the reg was 2015 and I remember distinctly Brooks Kepka and Jonah Jonas or Jonah Jonas Blix. Blix, yeah. Jonah, Jonas Blix and oh god it, it might have been Patrick no, it was somebody else there's somebody with a goofy name or whatever, but I just remember, I remember Brooks Kepka name stood out, and I was just kind of like, huh, huh, who is that? And I mean, it was just the first I noticed him. But um, Coke Crack, that was the other one. Coke, Coke Crack. crack. Well. I, I remember like those three names are right there in the like in the crossing that we were standing at, having a good time, and uh, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, who are all these names? Like, where like they, I don't understand how to like. And now two of the like, three of them show up. Well, yeah. Well, but that all being said, we all know Brooks Kepka um, has got an incredible work ethic, and that like he's gone through like all those uh, other tours. I'm not going to start to name them because my lack of knowledge is very evident. But uh, like he even said, like he had to go like you know cut his teeth over like over overseas in the Middle East, golfing yeah. in the Middle East, where we didn't know there was really that much golf, say for like you know Abu Dhabi, where they just like throw checks up and make it rain. But Brooks Kepka. <clears throat> 
the things that he's been saying lately that everyone's getting on board with, and this is going to lead to answering your question, I apologize to do it in a roundabout fashion. Everyone's starting to fall in love with the guy because they're starting to realize it's like whether his big swinging dick walks into the room first before he does, or, or he lets his play do the talking or whatever. And I'm not the first to say this. I heard this probably six months. I heard this before he won the last two majors that he won, okay? And, and essentially, it was one of those things where we were wanting Brooks to sound off and have an opinion finally. And, and we thought, like, who better is allowed, who's more allowed to have an opinion right now than Brooks Kepka? And now he's starting to talk. And some people don't like it because not everyone's going to like everything. But part of me is also like, well, hey, I love the stuff he says because he essentially says, just like, shut up and play better. I mean, that's just kind of... That's what I was getting at, yeah. I really appreciate that. That's hard to embrace or hard to work with, but I can really appreciate that because, like, well, let's just say this is uh, uh, basketball or hockey or or rugby or something, like a, uh, like a serious physical sport. It's like, would you say the same thing? Like when, uh, <clears throat> what's her name? When uh, Dottie Pepper uh, was uh, quoting somebody else, but they, I, I uh, we were listening to the, um, I was, it was from the Tucker interview with, what's his name? Hersh, uh Keith, Keith Herschel. Herschel, yeah, that's right. When he said, uh, talk about the choking freaking dog story. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, it's like she did, as as was reported accurately, she didn't backtrack. She's like, oops, they caught me on air. But at the same time, she's like, yeah, well, I apologize for saying that, but, uh, you know, we could be playing better or whatever. And, like, the coach of the team came up to her and said, hey, our girls are really hurt by that. Why'd you say that? It's like, stop choking. What do you want me to do? It's just like, it's like... It, this isn't even the Johnny Miller treatment here. It's just like, hey, how about you stop sucking? But, and, and he brings to point a lot of things that are just like about golf is life. Golf is perspective. Perspective is everything. Where everyone's standing from different elevations, literally and, and metaphorically in life, really can suss out how you digest something, whether it's visually or mentally or verbally or socially or anything. And all that being said, Brooks said a few things in that, in that uh, press conference recently that I thought, oh... <clears throat> he didn't enlighten me to anything. I just never heard those words together. And that was really, really cool. Like where he said, like, oh, you're complaining about the greens or the rough or whatever. How would you hit it closer? I'm just kind of like, <clears throat> anybody could have said that in the 60s. I mean, that's not new shit, really. But I love him for it because, like I said, and that's why the first thing I said about him, it's like his dick enters the room five minutes before he does. And now he's got the hardware to back it up. It's like, I, I think he might be like DJ, but just maybe a little younger, a little more vocal. Yeah, and I, I love the fact. A lot more majors. Yeah, I love the fact that he tells these guys in his group. He informed his group. He doesn't want them complaining to him. He just wants them to leave him alone, and he and made a good t- point. Who's gonna tell Brooks Kepka to fuck off? That guy will put you in an arm bar. Like he will, he'll put you in a cobra clutch, and that's the sleeper hold where he takes your own arm and puts you to sleep. Where it like gets around you, like he grabs your arm, puts you like that. I mean. Yeah, he's no. like uh, the Kawhi Leonard of golf now. He doesn't complain about anything. He just plays. Dude, listen. Just play I and mean, win. For as much as I defend the Warriors, and I only do that because Tucker likes to suck off the dicks of anybody who doesn't root for the Warriors, I, I gotta admit, I, I need to see the end of this series before I really cast my opinion about how far Toronto got and what they're doing because I'm still kind of not in shock or awe or anything like that. I'm very impressed. I actually really, when I was driving home from work today, I was taking stock and thinking what the Raptors have done this year, and I am really, really impressed. I need to see how they finish up before I say anything else about this this uh, NBA Finals, because it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so pretty. besides Kawhi Leonard, I must give, uh, since I'm Canadian, I'll give my take. I'm not a Raptors fan. I like them because of Kawhi. That's why I really wish the Bucks had made it, so I couldn't. People don't assume I'm just rooting for the Raptors because I'm Canadian. Also, the fact <laughs> that they cheered Durant's injury really pissed me off. Now hold on, I can defend that. I, I I've, I've seen enough footage and heard enough about that. We'll get back to the U.S. Open here in a second, but I can totally defend the Toronto fans and that they're not going to become that town where it's just like, oh no, Toronto fans they cheer people when they <clears throat> get hurt. No, no, no. It's that was. If you listen to um around the horn. And uh, pardon the interruption, they both have uh, podcasts. They're each 20 minutes apiece. It's just exactly what they post on ESPN every day. Um, they explain it succinctly that um, the crowd, once they realized... Once they realized how that it was a, a serious injury, <clears throat> they stopped cheering and, like, and, and being like kind of shitty or whatever. And their initial reaction, 
because their fans who probably had a few drinks and like, you know, they're not professional evaluators or whatever, had like a 10 second hiccup where when they saw him go down, they all just cheered because they're like, oh my God, this is what we needed to win the NBA championship. Hooray. It's not because like somebody went down because they're hurt. That that rarely happens. And those, those fandoms stand out. And I'm glad that those reporters broke it down that way because I didn't really see too much of it. So I didn't really know too much about it. And given what they said um, and how they expressed it to me, <clears throat> I don't think it's going to be a bad thing for Toronto, as like some people could say. I mean, because I remember Barstool Sports reposted that thing where like that crowd at the bar reacting to in Toronto yeah. to Kevin Durant's injury. Okay, I get that. I've seen a bar scene like that reacting to several different zany things that yeah might not have been injury related, but weren't involved with that room's team winning that game, and everyone was going berserk. Okay, people are allowed to be human. We're allowed to feel for a second, oh, hell yeah, and then feel for a second, oh, no, no, somebody got hurt, his career could be over. You know, I mean, it's like, that's a very visceral roller coaster back and forth. And and that's fine. We're allowed to be freaking human. And that's just, it's not that big a deal. It's, yeah, I hope they weren't cheering for them. I mean, it's hard to tell. I'm sure there were some cheering, and like you said, some didn't oh, realize. Look, there's there's rotten apples in every tree, in every state, in every province. In every and Drake country. pisses me off. Dude. Dude. What's that? And Drake pisses me off. Yikes. Just okay, sit in well, a normal let's... seat, dude. We don't need it. We don't. Alright, so how's about we talk about the US Open? Okay, back to golf. Yeah, so we got Pebble Beach. Iconic Pebble Beach golf links where, funny, with this guy I've been caddying for today, I noticed uh, on his four hybrid, he's got this like really old Pebble Beach sock that has like a leather Pebble Beach uh, medallion stitched on it or whatever. And it kind of kept falling off a little bit, but I kept my hand on it so I'd make sure it wasn't coming off. And then finally, in the middle of the second round today, on hole 30 of 54 or whatever, he said, uh, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, keep an eye on that head cover. My dad gave that to me or whatever. And he was kind of a dry guy, so I was just kind of like, or he said his grandfather gave it to him. He's kind of a dry guy, so I'm just kind of like, oh, I know, I've been keeping my eye on it for you there, uh, boss. You know, just, and, uh, I've been making sure my hand's on it. You know, it's kind of slippery, looks old or whatever. And he just looked at me deadpan and said, yeah, he bought it back in the 70s when it only cost 75 bucks. I almost fainted because, I mean, Pebble is so great at gouging people. And he was not telling a joke. He was being serious. He's like, no, no, no. That generic blue-ass head cover with that little piece of leather stitched onto it was $75 back in 1970. I don't know how much that is now, but too much for a head cover. I apologize. I'm sorry. Folks, I, I, I even though I mention all the time that we are an international show, brought to you by... Um, I, I, uh, Big Heads Podcast Network. Big Heads Podcast Network. That's right. I, it's not Michigan Sports Entertainment, um, but I, uh, I've been hearing the bumpers that they've been doing for us, and I really, really appreciate it. Those guys kick a ton of ass, and I, I can't be happier that we're, like, we're just part of a team or part of a crew or whatever. And I need to do better to uh, reciprocate and pay attention to those guys as best I can. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, the um, Frankie. Tangent on tangent there. <laughs> you were on exchanges, currency exchange. It, oh, yeah, the fact that we're international. I mean, Zach and I are good enough at, like, dealing with our time differences. Uh, no less that, like, uh, you know, he likes to talk still in yardages and not and, and not metric. But, oh, yes. But that, but that being said, like, when it comes to fiscal stuff, it's very easy for me as an American because, I mean, at least I can speak for the, for the United States. We worship the almighty dollar. We do. It's just it's 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 a dang nasty fact. It's we worship really your dollar too. Gross, but I get it. I get it. It's um it's one of those necessary evils that mankind has created, and now we have to perpetuate to stick around. But that's another podcast for another show, folks. Um, I oftentimes tend to throw out dollar values, and I know we don't always have American listeners, and I apologize. Because I know my conversion rates or my perspective is sometimes askew. So when I just say this or throw this out there, I, I mean, I, I never, even though I'm pretty good with my pesos and my yen, I never really got the pound down, so to speak. I mean... I always thought the pound was around double. Yeah, but it doesn't always fluctuate. Everything fluctuates. Yeah, it fluctuates. And I don't mean, sorry, folks, if anyone's listening and you're, like, punching your uh, dashboard right now or your iPhone or whatever. Saying, Smashing your head in. This is why you deleted Barstool Sports, Jerry's, because these lay you laymen sound like laymen. I there's a lot of things I don't know about, and there's a ton of things we do know about. 
Hopefully we can ruminate on the things that we do know about and those things that we don't. I'm not going to sound like Frankie Borelli or whoever that idiot was on Barstool Sports saying, no, wait a minute, if the temple of my head is so sensitive and it's right here and I didn't know what it was called and I didn't know it existed, how come we're not walking around with helmets? I mean, that man makes six figures a year, I think, doing nothing. <laughs> or you could laugh at the nonsense we say. The incorrect exchanges. Hopefully, hopefully. Or, or you could bet said, against our picks. And you'd be really rich. That is what I've, I've been saying all along, and we haven't even been doing this podcast all that long. I mean, just back when I started making, like, real picks, like, when I switched from, like, fantasy football to fantasy baseball to real betting on golf in 2014, I have not picked, ever since I picked Billy Ho to win the uh, 2014 Masters, I have not gotten dick right. We all <laughs> unanimously ranked Brooks Kepka number one. He might never win again. I doubt that. That was what a terrible a, omen that we did. or something on that? What do you mean? Win another mate? You don't think... What do you think? Okay. He might never win anything after we all ranked him one. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, see, I was you got me a little itchy there. I was going to say, like, oh, so what do you... You want to give some odds here? I'm like, what do you think Brooks Kepka's never going to win another major again? What if he pulls a speed? Oh, a never win a major? Or... Probably, like, five to one. No. What? If, no, probably, like, whoa, three whoa, to whoa, one. Whoa, whoa. Nope, everyone heard that first. Three to one. Yeah, I'll give you three to one. I'll take three to one on him never winning one. Well, of course he'll take three to one, but you said five first. Well, that's even worse. That's even better for me. But now I'll give you three because I'm generous. What is it? No, wait a minute. Are you sure? Yeah, I have the three side. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm trying to get you back on your heels. So um. We need a I board. Mean, so. Well, we we will. I will. I will get us a board. So, um, you asked me about Brooks Kepka. Was that leading to anything in particular? The about like, I mean, well, it was more that I was gonna say. He made the good point on that. Regardless of how hard the course is, everyone has to play the same thing. And that's yeah. why I love Pebble, or I love the U.S. Opens in general. How they play tough because you get some really brutal conditions, and you get to see these guys <laughs> struggle and almost struggle as badly as I do. That that is fair. Is fair. I. I used to be a member of that camp for many years where, and and John Daly, amongst a lot of other pro golfers, would take their turns jabbing the USGA, always saying, like, oh, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, unfair or bad or whatever, stuff like that. But, and I, I've never, I've never ever been one of those guys who, when you see a golfer do something that, like, sucks or whatever, I'd be like, oh, hey, look, he's human too. That's what we do or whatever. We don't say that for NASCAR. Hey, sorry, Mom. Here comes another NASCAR joke. By the way, she's like nine podcasts behind, and she keeps texting me saying, like, I'm tired of the NASCAR jokes. Or I'm like, left turn. Oh, we have talked NASCAR. <laughs> Careful. She hates that. <laughs> but that's like but that's like saying, like, oh, God, now I, just, now I just lost my grip. That's like saying we're watching NASCAR, and all of a sudden you see him wrecking, and you go, like, oh, ha, 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 that's what I do. That's what I do. It, it doesn't work that way. What I like about the U.S. Open is it... It, it, out of any tournament, more so than any other, and majors do this all across the globe, and, and, and tougher venues try to do it all the time too, the U.S. Open narrows the fairways the most. They crop the greens down the most. They grow the rough up the most. Even though they have a semi-rota of kind of like courses flowing through there, none of the courses are easy. If they're easy, it's because there was a weather anomaly or, like, some type of draw where, like, people just, like, spanked the course in the butt or something. And 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 we will talk about it probably a couple more times in this podcast, but, like, going back to the 2000 U.S. Open, I mean, that's an outlier where Tiger Woods, yeah, he shot 12 under. Two guys tied for second place at plus three in Ernie Els and Miguel Angel Jimenez. And to be fair, Miguel Angel Jimenez, one of my favorite human beings of all time, that was kind of the first time... This young golf podcaster uh, ever heard of or saw this guy was June 2000. That being said, I have never heard of, and I've, I hope I've said this before on the podcast, but if not, here it comes. I never heard of Angel Freaky Cabrera ever in my life, yet he, he was from Argentina, he showed up at all the majors, made the cuts, and then shot 80, 82 every weekend and somehow was ranked ninth in the world all year, even though he sucked at every major. And then he goes and wins two. Finally, thank God. Not one, not one, not, not one. one. Anyone can win one. I'm not just saying anybody off the street. I'm just saying Orville Moody, formal drill and take two. Orville Moody, 1969, former drill instructor of the Army. He won the 1969 U.S. Open. Didn't really win much else in his career. Mike Weir. Shout out Mike Weir. 
Mike Weir, there's another one. I mean, and the U.S. Open to me produces. It's first of all, it's got the best trophy. I'm sorry, Clara Jug. Clara Jug, you are. It doesn't have a good name though. It doesn't need a name. Every trophy needs a name. You're right. You're right. But don't derail me. (laughs) That's that's a good point. Maybe you know what? We'll put it up to the fans. Maybe we'll uh, come up with a name for the U.S. Open trophy, and we'll uh, we'll just single-handedly rename it. At USGA, hashtag USGA, at get on that shit. Um, the Peter Kessler Cup. Ooh, um, the PK Cup. The, I like P- that. The, the US Open trophy is exactly the Wanamaker is too big, PGA Championship. The Claret Jug is beautiful, it's perfect. But then you got the US Open one, it's just a little bit bigger. You know, it looks kind of cool in its own regards. That cup, it's got everything. It's produced some of the weirdest champions where. There's only... Okay, so... There are two four-time U.S. Open champions. Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. There is multiple two-time U.S. Open champions. Obviously, several one-time. Amongst the two-time U.S. Open champions, one that likes to stand out to me is Curtis Strange, winner of the 89 and 90 U.S. Opens, and no other major but back-to-back U.S. Opens. Ooh, that guy... I don't like Curtis Strange, but because of that alone, anytime he gets on the microphone and says something, I listen. Because that guy, that's gravitas. Also, Hale Irwin. Heard of that guy? Yeah. Is it Hale or how? It's Hale, eh? Uh, I don't know if that's like, it might be pronounced different in other countries or whatever, and Hale is sure as hell not short or long for anything. <laughs> but uh, Hale Irwin won the 1974 1979 and 1991 U.S. Opens, and no other majors. Nobody you said 74 was the first. Yeah, 74. 17 years 91. apart. Wait, what's that? You said 91 was his last one. Yes. Yeah, se- oh yeah, 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 yeah. He won 17 years apart. Yeah. Sorry, it cut out a little bit right there, but uh, but yeah, but 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 in terms of Taylor, when also I think he's like the uh, senior tour money and wins leader still too and the senior tour hasn't even been around that long i mean he's just great old guy golfer he has no other majors but three u.s opens i mean that guy is to win the u.s open god you have to be a certain type of bulletproof i mean when martin keimer won the u.s open a few years ago in in great fashion at i think it was pinehurst he destroyed everybody so much that i thought oh my god martin keimer is gonna be like you know you thought you heard the name tiger woods they got the Terminator over here from Germany. I mean, he just like... I remember that. Kill you. It was I mean, all the talk. Cool. All the talk. I mean, I, I didn't even know if there was a bandwagon. I started my own. I mean, ooh, he scared me. But but the U.S. Open, it's just... And here we have, we're melding it with Pebble Beach. Like, the like it's... I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying it's iconic. I'm not trying to use any too many buzzwords, but it is. It's... For sure. It, it's the course that I want to play before I die, but I really don't want to. But you have to. I mean, it's just... I don't, you know what I'd rather play right now? Cabot. Get me out to Nova Scotia, baby. I want to play some, me some Cabot. Is it Cliffs or Lynx? There's two different ones, or... Cabot. I know Cabot Lynx, but I assume... I guess there's also Cabot Cliffs. It might be in Cabot Cliffs. There's also <laughs> Cabot Cheese. Really? Is Cabot like Cheese a Canadian thing? No. What? No, it's not. Cabot cheese is not. Cabot cheese they have in Vermont. We have a Vermont's like on your doorstep. Yeah, so it's not purely Canadian. Good well, to cheese. Be fair, to be fair, there is uh, um, another great side note to anyone listening, and you'll know this if you go to your grocery stores, Americans, but uh, Wisconsin is the cheese state or the dairy state in America mostly. Cheese but heads. Oregon? Yeah, yeah, exactly for green the Green Bay Packers. Um but Oregon is right up there in dairy to the point where I guarantee you at any grocery store in America, like a major franchise, go look for a brick of cheddar cheese, medium cheddar cheese, the big orange one, and tell me that it doesn't say Tillamook on it because that is where the big bricks of orange cheese come from in America, solamente. And that is how... I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Wisconsin has an embargo where it's not allowed to enter the state, but... And that's how you get from Hale Irwin to Brick of Orange Cheese in two minutes. Exactly. The, the U.S. Open, it, it, it's so tough that it produces weird winners in that regard. I mean, 
you get these one-offs, you get these crazy long shots or whatever. But then you get guys like Lee Jansen who won two. And, like, uh, I, I remember I, I said in a tweet somewhere, I forget what the context was, but somebody was talking about, like, great American golfers or whatever, and they didn't mention Lee Jansen or Curtis Strange. I'm like, both these guys won two U.S. Opens a pop, and those are their only majors. And that, that, no respect. Ernie Els, who has company majors? I know for a fact Ernie has three majors. I'm sorry, folks. He has the... Oh, he won a British Open 02 or 03. 02, I think. Um, might have been 03. I'm sorry. But, um, but this is U.S. Open talk. Ernie Els had two U.S. Opens in the 90s. I mean, the 90s was, like, pretty chock full of, like, like stalwart U.S. Open. I mean, like, like a certain type of golfer won the U.S. Open. Payne Stewart almost won a lot of U.S. Opens and finally won in 99 and died before he could even defend his title in 2000 when Tiger took over. Don't hate it. Now, let me ask you. Do you have... Because I can name, like, the very first U.S. Open at Pebble Beach was 1972. Jack Nicklaus won it. And he had one of the most beautiful iron shots of in my... Everyone talks about Ben Hogan's one iron, the Miracle at Marion. Um, but I like to think of Jack Nicklaus's two iron of the 71st hole of regulation in the 1972 U.S. Open. The wind was whipping that flag back and forth like a metronome with no beat it was all over the road and he it was 217 yards that whole plays all day the wind is whipping he cracks a one iron it takes one bounce hits the stick like six inches up the stick and then stops two inches from the cup like it's just like that only the bear could like take a javelin and throw it up into the clouds of zeus and say eat this i mean oh my god and then 1982 10 years later tom watson is duking it out with Jack Nicholas, and all of a sudden, on the very same hole, on the very same round, Tom Watson overcooks his iron shot long into the long rough. You remember this? That Do I remember this? this? Is before my time. This is before my time too, but I'm reciting it because oh god. So anyone listening at home, you get what I'm saying. Tom Watson, um, a local of the area, well, not local of the area. When he went to Stanford, he always snuck on to uh, Pebble Beach and he joked with himself when he was in college that he'd get on the last two holes and say, you gotta play these last two holes and one under to win. And he said he'd finish them two over and said, like, well, I got a lot of work to do. So here he is back at 1982, 71st hole of the U.S. Open. Tom Watson has no U.S. Opens, mind you. This is a man who has eight majors. He will win this U.S. Open, but he has five British Opens. I mean, this guy is, you know, a machine gunner. He's great. This is his only U.S. Open. He's in this thick salad bar of rough right behind the green, short-sighted. He gets a sandwich, and Bruce, his caddy, God rest his soul, uh, from ALS, he uh, he said, uh, get it close. And Tom said, get it close. Hell, I'm going to make it. And Tom, sure, sure enough, I encourage everyone to go to YouTube and look it up because it's one of my favorite little scenes of golf. He just gets up there. He can't even see his shoes in the rough. Just chip, pop, rolls on the green, click right in the hole. And he runs off, runs around the green, does a fist pump, and he looks back at Bruce and points at him. And you can't see what he says, but he says, I told you so. And Bruce runs over, slaps him on the back. You can see a cigarette in Bruce's hand because it's great. It's back in the old days. And, like, they're all cheering. Tom Watson wins the U.S. Open in 82. Flash forward to 92. Tom Kite, one of the biggest money winners on tour ever. The U.S. Open comes back to Pebble Beach. Tom Kite wins his only major. His only one. Tom Kite is what Dustin Johnson is now back in the day. Tom Kite for a good 12 years was winning every single tournament that wasn't a major. And then he won one. A very blustery U.S. Open at Pebble Beach in 1992 where I forget what the total score was but it was a nut buster of a round where I think his only birdie was like some pitch in or something. And then we have Tiger. His 2000 U.S. Open. Tiger. Know. I only mention all this saying like I mean obviously you say that it's this is before your time, but I mean, do you have any U.S. Open memories? I mean, from Pe from Pebble Beach specifically. I mean, from Pebble Beach specifically, not really. I slightly remember Tiger's obviously dominance in the 2000 U.S. Open, but even then, most of it's like watching YouTube clips. But I'd be lying if I said I had a distinct moment I remember. Well, what do you what do you remember about the uh, what was it 2000 and 2009 no 2009 was Beth Page 2010 they went back to Pebble and Graham McDowell won or something 
I know. So, yeah, won. I can't. I, I forget the year. I know Graham McDowell won at Pebble, but I don't. I remember like the guy being a runner-up was a no-namer. Like it was a very, very like sleepy tournament. And hey, but there's the U.S. Open. There's Graham McDowell's one major win. And guess what? I'm glad Graham McDowell won that major because he hasn't won anything else really. And he's and been he playing well been, recently. Dude, do you know much about him personally? Like how no. much of, like an ambassador he is to humankind in the game? Oh, this guy essentially. I don't know, like, when he knocked up a girl, like, when he found a girlfriend or wife or whatever, but this guy went from being, like, the Derek Jeter of the PGA and European Tour in terms of being, like, all-time stickmen, where, like, he would give his number out to three or four hot chicks that were following him around, like, every round, like, on certain, like, greens or holes, and he would, like, meet up with them later that night or whatever. Graham Dowell was not a swinger. He just was, like, playboy extraordinaire. Leonardo DiCaprio, we're talking, folks. It just was him. That's just what he was. Then, next thing I knew, I started seeing a bunch of pictures of him and his uh, a child, so I guess like he had a family or started a family or whatever and but meanwhile other than this US Open win Graham McDowell doesn't have that much in terms of like victory or prestige or whatever but Graham McDowell is like like an, he's one of those guys who's like on Arnold Palmer's board or something or like he's on like the like he's on like a whole bunch of board of trusts or whatever and right. like players and stuff or whatever Graham McDowell is big in like the whole like I don't want to call it charitable side of things but it's just like his name pops up a ton that's great. Then I'll be rooting for him. He has one win this year, though. His first win Where in a while. That? I think he won, like, the Puerto Rico Open. Ooh, la la. Well, they didn't have electricity down there, so who could report? <laughs> exactly. Do we really know? That's not fake news. That's just no news. Next. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I feel like we could get to some of our picks for who we like. Yeah, you, uh, what do you, um... Before I light up Ron Mintz, because I love him, but he just so happened to tweet something deliciously coincidental with something I wanted to say. Who do you like at the U.S. Open this year? I mean, let, let me just say this much. Pebble is not a terribly long course. That being said, with how they grow up the U.S. Open and the conditions, other than it not being long, I don't think there's many other factors, so who do you like? So I'll give two picks. My one somewhat long shot at 30 to one's Jason Day, and I think that's like an incredible What's pick. Your- First of all, what's your definition of a long shot? Well, for the majors, I feel like 30 to 1 is fair. He's not really a long shot, but I just really love him. Okay. So, got to go with him. I, I, I always, I guess, even though you're right, for majors it's different, but I always, uh, and mostly it was for tour performance, but I always thought 50 to 1 was my Mendoza line. Yeah, so, yeah, fair. So in his last seven events at Pebble, he's come in the top 12 six times of the last seven. Ooh. Hot stat. Five, Nobody. Five of his last six. Five of his last seven have been top six finishes. And he has five U.S. Open top ten since 2011. But he's missed the last two cuts. I got more stats coming at you. He also, you know who his new caddy is? Fanny. Steve Williams. You're kidding me. Yeah. That's news, okay. And he's had some great successes at Pebble, as we all know, with Adam Scott and, of course, Tiger. So, True feel, and true. I feel like Jason Day, although he hasn't been doing too great and his last two U.S. Opens haven't been great, I feel like that's a stellar choice. I got, I got nothing here. You literally... That was some rip shit good statistics that I was unaware of. You like I that research? No Jason Day was... well. I, I, I thought I was gonna I was gonna I thought I was gonna pimp you out uh, talking about Xander Shoffley being like well of his two U.S. Open appearances he has placed top six and both of them I mean that's small sample size whatever but I mean I had no idea Jason Day had that type of record at Pebble or Stevie or whatever and but also just in general at the U.S. Open yeah yeah he's four two five eleven four his last five finishes at Pebble too. Okay, now, uh, keep talking because I am about to look up Louis Oosthuizen's finishes in the Okay, US so I'll open. give you my... I'm going to use that little munchkin as a uh, litmus test here. I'll give you my personal favorite to win, although his game definitely doesn't suit the course. He's coming off a dominant victory at my home event. we got to go with Rory. Oh, man. Wait, you... Mm. They say it's not a driver's course, and you're only going to be hitting driver three or four times, allegedly, but I feel like... He could still hit it, and if you're getting it 50 yards by these guys in the rough, you got to feel like that's still a pretty big advantage. Allegedly. 
allegedly. I'm no expert, but I feel like a nice 70 yards from the rough is easier than like 160 from the fairway. Mm, okay, I'm not I'm not impressed with Louis Ustazen's numbers in the U.S. Open, so forgive me. I, that, I just ditched that sled. So so you're telling me you got... God damn. Okay, so you like Rory. I like Rory just because he's so good. People are like... Oh, no, no, no. I like, I, like, I like Rory, too. That's the thing. I had to pick three for um, my girlfriend's office pool, and I picked uh, my favorite, Adam Scott, because... Uh, Love it. Personally, personally, when I was crunching the numbers, as people might see on the website when i when i when i punched it in he came out at 25 to 1 and then denunzio told me 33 to 1 whatever because i found 80 to 1 at odd sharks he is so all over the map and i would be honestly i think that little baby shark could sneak right in there the, the pleated one uh he could uh i could definitely see him hoisting the uh, no name cup uh, the no name cup, cup. Come sunday yes come sunday and um and I mean, yeah, he he's been playing sharper golf at the right times. And what you need at this tournament is sharp golf. I mean, that's kind of why I'm kind of fancying Tiger Woods a little bit because Tiger nobody knows what club to hit and where better than Mr. Woods at that course. But uh, but I was gonna pick Xander, but Ron Mintz like like threw up a Xander flare earlier. I'm like, God damn, because that guy's the bulldog fighter pilot. And then I was gonna pick Rory because who's hotter than hot and who's good? And you picked Rory, so I mean, I just gotta stay on my raft with the uh, with me mate, Adam Scott. I like Adam Matt. Scott. I feel like he fits this course well, even though he hasn't had such good finishes here. But it's a bit surprising. I honestly don't have any idea what his finishes are. He's missed the cut the last two times playing here. Sixty-first and hundred and eleven. Well, no, no wonder his uh, numbers were all over the board, and that's why Zach is the comprehensible and researching one out of the two of us. I also just have a sheet pulled up with previous finishes at the U.S. Open. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I got, I got, I got, I got reams of yellow paper over here. <laughs> I got some, I got some good random stats for you though of people's finishes. Spill it. Some real random names. Last, well, last year Siwoo Kim had a nice fourth place finish. That's pretty shocking. Don't, 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 don't you? I already, I already touched that stove once. Don't do, you? Say do you know his who finished was. second two years ago? Ches Reevy. Uh, don't. Oh, okay. Well, well, we haven't. Have we really looked at him seriously in majors ever? No, that's fair. Then we have a guy in this tournament at a thousand to one odds who finished eighth three years ago. Rob Oppenheim. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> You mean the rocket builder? Yes. Sorry, folks. It's a World War II joke. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like I remember that name from getting research on Rob Hop. No, no research. Just the fact that I see he's a thousand to one and finished eighth here three years ago. <coughs> that is all we know. That is all. <laughs> One one question I have for you: Do you think Phil has any chance? His finishes, his last four finishes here are first, second, sixty-fifth, second. I actually really thought about this today, um, in terms of like the career slam or how he could finish it, or you know what? It doesn't matter where he could finish it. You know, it's going to be magical no matter what. Um, that being said, now I. Almost with like a certain dagger, I thought, no, there's no way. Phil, I hate to say it, he's kind of regressing into that 54-hole Ricky Fowler territory I've, I've, we often joke about, where it's like, oh, Ricky Fowler's good for three rounds, not four. Pick pick one of the four that he just does, he shoots 73 on or whatever. I hate to say it, Phil's hit that level where, unless the course, in my opinion, unless the course sets up exactly perfectly for him, I just don't... When I see Tiger focusing extra and dialing it up, when I see Xander Shoffley focusing extra and dialing it up, when I see Dustin Johnson just golfing, period, because that's the equivalent of what he does, it's all like a certain level of like you know the zone. Phil, I love him, but Phil is like almost like a tennis player with like too much emotion, where it's just kind of like he just like plays it by ear. And in order for Phil to win at Pebble. He has to have, like, a lot... I'm not saying, like, play good, but he has to have a lot of incredible breaks go his way. And I don't think that at a U.S. Open, especially at Pebble, you can have four whole rounds of good breaks and good luck. 
that's why I'm saying I hate to say it. I could see Phil maybe having, like I said, I, I could see him being for three quarters of the time, but I just can't. As much as I would pick Phil for everything, and I do, not this one. No, sorry, folks. Tiger. I would pick Tiger well ahead of Phil. If anyone wants to get a hold of me on Twitter and we can talk about it and wager or whatever, I'll give you odds or whatever. But I say Tiger finishes better than Phil in this major, hands down. And I'm Camp Phil. Yeah, no, that I agree with you on. Oh, that's it? Oh, they just... <laughs> no, I agree with you that Tiger's going to do better than Phil. Yeah, we have, we've barely spoken about Tiger. What do you think about him? It's I'm still concerned considering his, the, um, his workload and how things went for the PGA and everything. Not to mention, I kind of I kind of oversexied it a little bit for him and Beth Page. I mean, I really did. And then I hate I don't want to say the obvious candidate one, but like when you see Brooks Kepka uh, uh, plus Beth Page equals oh hell yeah! I mean, it's just kind of like oh of course who else would win Beth Page? I mean, it's Brooks Kepka. Come on, but Tiger. I mean, as was said on PTI earlier, um, and I heard it. And I was thinking about it, and then Tony Kornheiser said it, and I love that he said it because he said that Tiger knows where to hit two iron and three wood and five wood and three iron and like into tighter spots in the fairway. He's been there and he knows, and this is why he won the masters. He didn't just take the driver out and try to bomb it. When, 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 when the, when the chips were down, he put, he put that long iron in his hands and he just let that thunder leash unleash. Excuse me. Yeah. He definitely, uh, has the advantage there knowing what to do. I don't know how many times he's played pebble, but more than enough. And he, and not to say like everyone says he has good history at Pebble. The two times he's ever won at Pebble were in the same year, folks. It was in the year 2000 when he had his first. Remember, everyone remembers the AT&T Pebble Beach Prime. It was in January or maybe it was early February of the year 2000, and that was the same year he won. Consequently, the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach that year in June. He had that eagle from. It was on number 15. Because 14 is the par 5. Yeah, 15, he was like 100 yards downhill. And he just hit this wedge down the hill, and it was one of his first famous fist pumps or whatever. And that was just, yeah, 18 t Pebble Beach Program Sunday. He won that tournament. He's only, I don't know how many times he's teed up Pebble. I'm sorry, folks, I'm a dinosaur. I don't have the information in front of me. I didn't bother to do prep for that. But he's played at Pebble a lot. He's only won twice. Fact. Fact. Same year, you said. Right, well, in, unless I'm forgetting another Pro-Am he won there. That's it. Because what other tournaments play there? The U.S. Open occasionally, and the oh, ATT yeah. and that's it. But that that was, like, right from the 1999 PGA to, like, the next 365 days, nobody was hotter than Tiger. I mean, ugh. So, I like Adam Scott. I, that's... And Ron Mintz, thank you for uh, mentioning Xander Shoffley. I hate to say it, he's starting to become my whole, like, he's my ace in the hole, where it's just like, if I can't think of somebody to win a major, I will say Xander Shoffley. <laughs> As uh, Denunzio knows, my pick for every tournament is Luke List. <laughs> he would just keep failing me. So, before we wrap this up here, um, do you got any uh, anything else you want to talk about? Was there any Twitter questions? Or I have a Canadian fun fact of the right? week. Okay, throw it at us. What, uh, what do you Because it's U.S. Open related. If you get this, I'd be shocked. Do you know who the last Canadian to win the U.S. Open was? The first name that came to mind, I'm not going to say it out loud because that's stupid, um, is an Australian. Well, that would immediately disqualify <laughs> him from the last Canadian. Um, all right, uh, can you can you at least give me the year? Nope. Fudge. Um, I I don't know. No Canadians ever won. Real shame. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean good, but that's what stumped. What is me. good? It's a good look for you. I was hoping Fair. you were gonna guess someone. Well, I was trying every every single name I thought of that was under the sheets. I'm like, no, South African, no, Australian, no, New Zealand, no, English, no, 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 no. There's no like, like Peter Thompson, no, 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 no. Just I kept going. Yeah, no, we've never won one. Mo Norman, no, nothing, no. I thought that's who you were gonna guess. No, I, I, I know Mo Norman's resume, baby. Yeah, exactly. He was the only one. That guy is, um, he's a, he's my man. So. 
I got a I got a couple questions that um I didn't get a chance to address last podcast. We're gonna do it real quick here. That came on Twitter, but I tweeted these guys earlier and uh, telling them that they just barely missed it, but they will be addressed. And uh, this applies to both me and Zach, both from me as a caddy and a golfer, and Zach as a golfer and things he's witnessed on the course. But we got a question here from Jeff. <clears throat> Pardon me if I uh, mispronounce the last name. Babich. It's B A B I C H. On Twitter, he's at JeffB3R. Question, how many or roughly what percentage of golfers repair their own ball marks? Zach, what can you tell me about that? I would go, I feel like I actually repair my ball marks a lot just because I like to feel like a professional golfer, so it makes me feel cool. But I'd say very low amount. I'd go with 20%. Really? So I'm going with final answer. But you would know. Let's preface this with you would probably be the accurate. Well, I I only know, well, obviously I know where I work, but I also know like at my at my private club, private club. I uh, I joined the Elks and uh, we have the in the state of Oregon, we actually have a golf course, so the Elks actually have a state tournament there or whatever, so we have our uh, Thursday night men's league every night, but uh when I play with those guys, what I mean, it's just there, I, I definitely see both sides in terms of um, of the chasm of uh, elite golf or expensive golf, and then just like a lot of the guys I play with, they still are wearing their car hearts and they're still suspenders as they get out of their log trucks, and they get in their golf cart and tee it up for men's league. Like those are a lot of the guys I play with here out in Oregon Respect. at my men's club. But all that being said, I mean, um, I don't think. Uh, <clears throat> I had a good answer for this. I actually tweeted a guy. Let's, um, yeah, there, there it is. I just uh, screenshotted, so I made sure I looked at the answer. In short, what I really notice is at Bandon Dunes, where I work at the golf resort, when it gets really windy and you're not a very good golfer, it's hard to repair ball marks when you don't hit greens. That's kind of the, the shitty, smug, short answer to say. Is it's just like, oh, well, it all depends on the ability of the golfer. Like, uh, how many ball marks do you repair when... It, and I think it's just like a coming-of-age thing where it's just like, like you said, you like to repair your ball mark if you, you know, make one. A lot of people might not be used to making one, so they're not just not used to that part of the etiquette or whatever. Um, I've always been taught, and folks, take this with you. If there's ever a piece of golf cliche or ism that you can take with you, take this with you. One tip I learned when I was actually training as a caddy back in 1999 at Bandon Dunes when the training was a lot different, the caddy master said, do your best to repair your golfer's ball mark and at least one other that you see. That keeps the green going. That being said, I always repair my ball mark. I mean, I don't know too many people who don't. I mean, and especially out at our resort on those uh, those greens, unless it's like really early in the morning or really uh, late at night with the shadows, it's tough to see the ball marks. If the greens are really firm, it's tough to make a ball mark. I mean, if and, and I'm sorry, Jeff asked the question, I guess, so I have to put a percentage on it. Percentage of golfers who repair their ball marks, and I'm going to include caddies of golfers because my golfer this week, he's not repairing his ball marks. I'm repairing his because he's busy putting and he doesn't ask for reads from me. So he's up there putting. So I just like find his ball mark and fix it. And I just move along. I like that guy. He I, doesn't ask for reads. That's my guy. He asked for a couple and they've been pressure cookers, but I've, I've gotten them correct. Um, and he's an attorney, so I know he's very discerning and, uh, you know, semantic, but, um, I would say honestly, Jeff, in my utmost, observation i would say 90 percent or more of golfers i see repair their ball marks which is weird because like today when we go on the course for our third round today and it was very very like starting to get shady out there you saw a lot more ball marks i mean there's a lot of places where you may might have been looking for your ball mark and you can't find it and all of a sudden when the sun hits it a different way yeah you see it or you see um all the other fat asses who've been dragging their feet across the green and making craters and trenches so that happens too so thank you jeff that was a great question the next question that i have uh, can apply to all of us and i think it applies very specifically and i'm sorry if you had to listen to the podcast this long ty or matt if you're telling ty this um these are two canadian buddies of mine who i caddied for not that long ago here at bannon dunes shout out this is ty childs or childs I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's going to hate the fact that I pronounce it one way or the other. How's it spelled? Like, like, childs. It's probably like, childs. Like, like, you're, like, you're a child, but there's plural. 
Child. Childs. But I said childs just to be an asshole. So Maybe it's I, chilled. So I got, that means I got, yeah, see, I got one of them right and I got one wrong on purpose. But um, you can find him at Turnyboss on Twitter. And his uh, Twitter, oh, and by the way, they have a very, very delightful uh, podcast. Let me bring up the podcast network where you can find it on Fantasy Baseball. Very, very good stuff. It's called Dingers, but you can find it at the Sport Travel Radio. Um, is the name of the uh, I don't God, God I, I haven't listened to so many podcasts so long. I've been so busy. Like I don't know. I'm looking at my phone, going like, what are these buttons for? But uh, Ty does a um, a sport uh, fantasy baseball podcast that is unlike any other. And to be fair, in terms of the very first podcast I ever listened to ever ever, the first ones twelve years ago were fantasy baseball podcasts, and this is the best one I've ever listened to. And Ty asks. How do you combat someone who only wants to hit driver asking for a friend? Zach, oh. do you have this problem where, I mean, do you have a love-hate affair with your driver? Very much so. So this is where my friend Mark will enjoy this segment. This is where I would teach them my signature 777 strategy. It's where you take out a 7-iron, you hit it, then you go to your ball with the 7-iron, you hit the 7-iron again, and then you go for one more 7-iron. Works every time. <laughs> I like that. That's uh, that's as they'd say in, in NASA, airtight math. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you'd like this. Sometimes I like to go backwards. Like, say it's a par four, and I know I can get there with like a five iron and then an eight iron. I'll Bob go eight it. iron, five iron. Now you're just being Mo Norman. You're just now you're just gloating there. Okay. Because I, I know I, I can get the first in the fairway. That's all I need. All right, you know what? Hey, next time you say this hole's a driver wedge, I'd like to see you hit a driver, uh, hit a wedge, and then stick that driver. Yeah, yeah stick no, that, that approach there, buddy. I might do that too. At least it's in the fairway. I need the fairway's hit percentage up higher. So how? I know we're. Um, I'm not a professional golfer. You're not a professional golfer. But we're both social golfers of very different levels. Um, what would? What do you think would be your like just uh, like run of the mill advice for somebody who? Uh, only wants to hit the driver. I mean, even if it's something is like stopping a moron. I mean, what do you got? I can't even. <laughs> dead serious. I get so fed up with my driver, and I really do go seven iron off the tee. So okay. Fair, I can't. I need that. I need the answer as much as this guy needs the answer. Look, okay, Zach. Zach. In in terms of like, you can't let your driver not be your friend. I mean, you don't have to hit it great. Just realize it's the club that wants to be hit the most. It's I know, and I need to hit it. It's the tennis racket, okay? You can hit that thing on three or four different angles, eight or nine different ways, and produce upward great ball flight, baby. I mean, it's just... It's, it goes like 60 yards to the right. The only reason why, shout out to our name, the only reason why I play from the back tees all the time is because I want to hit driver all the time. And Ty, this is a great question that you're asking because it fits right in my wheelhouse, because I want to hit driver all the time. I love my three-wood, but I only hit it about once or twice around, and every time I do, I'm kind of shaking. I'm a little shaking, going like, oh, it's my three-wood. Why don't I just pull out the driver? I like it, you know? Because when I see the driver, it's 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 like, uh, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking about that scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit where um, Eddie gets that, like, cartoon gun, and he opens up that, like, box, and all the cartoon bullets are all big and jumping around. It's just like, that's what I feel like my driver is. It's just sitting there looking at me, come on, like, hey, Jerry, come on, hit me, hit me big. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to hit you big. It's just like, I mean, that's just, that's just how I, that's how I approach the, the driver. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like this guy's coming from the same place, though. It gets very frustrating when you can't hit it down into the fairway, and then you just want to keep hitting it. There's also no guarantee that he is asking for a friend either. I mean, because his, his, uh, his other friend... Uh, you oh, know, he like, is. Everyone knows <laughs> Everyone knows when you say asking for a friend, you're asking for a friend. Come on. Well, and as I, tweet, as I tweeted him earlier, um, the podcast on Sports Travel Radio is called Dingers. And I told him, uh, tell your friend to keep bringing us the Dingers, because that's a, it's a killer podcast. I, uh, I love listening to it. And... I heard I'm going to get a shout-out recently for um, they're doing an episode about best fantasy team names. And one year, when I, I, I'm a big advocate of if you draft a team, your team should be loosely based off of the name of the first-rounder, second-rounder. Oh, you're draft. one of those. So be clever. If you can't be clever, pick something, pick whatever you want. But one year, I picked one where when you wrote it down, I picked Troy Tulowitzki as my starter. Um, or I'm sorry, starter. He was a shortstop, and he was my first-rounder. And um, for some reason, I just like kind of just like heard heard a song in my head, 
and then I just wrote it down. I went Tulawitzki Tulawal. Oh wow, that is a good you one. Gotta, you just got to think about it for a second. Tulawitzki Tulawal. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clever, I guess. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to talk about tonight, Zach? No, I feel like we're good. We're at almost exactly an hour. Amen to that. Uh, we didn't want to keep it too long, folks. Uh, we mostly want to talk U.S. Open. We got our picks in. Zach dropped some killer information. And uh, Zach, where can they find us? Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with us and listen to us? As usual, you can find us at uh, From the Back Tees on Twitter and at Jerry Lulupa One on Twitter. And then, no, that's me. Yeah, I know. Come on, I was giving for both of us. <laughs> Saving time, efficiency. And then and we uh, we do our best to make sure the podcast gets out on all streaming features for who is a big head big heads podcast network big heads big heads plural big heads podcast network and I guess one last thing because I feel like we never bring it up that people should subscribe and review our podcast because it definitely helps us show up and helps other people find it. Oh yeah, yeah, good call. Even if we're friends all the way out there from uh, you know Will Brennan to uh, Captain Kramer and all you guys out there, hopefully you're listening. Just click that and little even, subscribe button. And even my friends that I caddy with today, Corey. Yeah, it's Corey, not Cody. Corey Marino and Jimmy Kelly. That's right couple fresher faces out there at the caddy shack we're doing this whole marathon thing they like podcasts too there's your name you have to listen to the whole thing to hear it <laughs> zach it was good talking to you buddy yeah that was great so All we'll right, catch you guys we'll, uh, uh, halfway through next week absolutely go uh, go u.s open